I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Talking OTC Commodities, brought to you by the EEX Group. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talking OTC Commodities. Brought to you by EEX Group. I'm Michael Mervyn-Jones and for this podcast we're going to examine the rising role of funds in dry freight. And more importantly, we're going to discuss what more can the freight community do to attract more funds to the market. Now, joining me today is Rich Heath, Head of Business Development for the EEX Global Commodities Portfolio. Rich is joined by Claudia Girotto, Head of Sales for EEX Global Commodities, and Kerry Deal, Head of Business Development at Freight Investor Services, who are one of the leading and most established brokers in the world when it comes to the freight market and many other commodities too. I personally find uh, this one really interesting as a topic, and I think the panel makes some really valid points. So I hope you enjoy it. Guys, thanks a million as always for joining us today. Um, before we get into the, the meat and the potatoes of how we can attract more funds to the dry freight market, Claudia, perhaps you can give us a brief overview of the history of funds in dry freight. Sure. Well, we have seen funds trade in the dry bulk freight market very successfully in the past decade or so. Although historically, the market has been predominantly traded by shipping, trading companies and the banking industry. Therefore, funds have always been a relatively small portion of the market, but surely very important for the liquidity. So to put things into context, I think it is important to say that the availability of data in terms of prices, transactions, open interest was completely different, you know. Data was not that easy to retrieve. Exchanges and their respective clearing houses didn't have the same regulatory requirements as they do now. So having a fair overview and picture of the market was not so straightforward. Just the highly specialized market experts had access to the different market channels and could operate in that type of environment. However, we have noticed that this mark that this trend has changed in the last couple of years. Okay, um, thanks for that, Claudia. I mean, Rich, where are we sitting now? Roughly, what share do funds make up as a percentage of the overall dry freight market? So when we when we look at our business at EEX, we estimate, and um, I do have to stress it, it is a you know slight estimation because um, these businesses are not always completely visible to us, but we estimate with a, a reasonable degree of certainty that currently funds make up around 30% of the liquidity by volume in the dry freight market. So um, I would say that's probably grown a little bit, um, you know, since, since the, the, the past. Um, and I would also say that 
you know, the, the makeup of those funds is changing a little bit. So, of course, we still have the highly specialized speculators in the market that Claudia was referring to, and they continue to, and I think will always form a really important part of the overall market liquidity. But what we see now is that those, you know, traditional freight funds, if we were to call them that, are being joined um, by new counterparties, which are a little bit more generalist. So at the moment, you know, certainly looking at, at our business, this is probably more of a trickle um, than a flood at this point in time. Um, but if we look at the types of business who are inquiring about the market with us, um, that gives us maybe more of a picture of how this is going to change into the future. And we see that a lot of those businesses would be completely new to the freight market. Now, of course, not every fund who looks at freight and talks to us about the market is going to decide that it's right for them. But I do expect that we'll see a good proportion of those inquiries come to fruition. And therefore, we can expect to see many more generalists um, and possibly even some systematic funds enter the market in the future. Absolutely. And, and Richard, to speak to that point that you just touched on, um, from our perspective, uh, we are noticing more systematic funds inquiring into this market. I think that is probably one of the key changes we've observed in the past two years, but especially in the past 12 months. Okay, so but I'll come back to the the percentage in a, in a, in a second. But we're we're roughly sitting at about thirty percent of the market. Kerry, I'd like to bring you in here, and I'm I'm going to start by by asking possibly the most obvious question ever: Why should <laughs> funds be looking at dry freight? I think that's a very easy one to answer. To be honest, um, there are a number of reasons why funds should look at FFAs, uh, not least of which is that uh, dry freight represents an absolutely essential component of global trade as a whole. But if you actually break down the dry freight market into its component sizes, each size represents an excellent proxy play. For example, uh, for funds that are looking to play uh, to play these markets from a more macro perspective, so. Uh, for example, the Cape size market, which predominantly consists of vessels that carry iron ore and coking coal, uh, can be an excellent proxy for the Chinese industrial strength and indeed the strength of the Chinese property markets, since that tends to drive steel consumption more than anything else within China. Likewise, if you look at the Panamax sector, you have a very broad overview of, of products uh, worldwide. You have a lot more ags being carried, but in addition, you also have a lot of thermal coal being carried. So this tends to be a broader gauge of, of health of global trade and, uh, and the global economy, I would say. So in both of these cases, you know, you have a very strong appeal to macro funds. If you're looking from a more technical trading perspective, this is also a market that trades very much uh, on trend. Um, you know, despite the the somewhat well-deserved reputation of, of Cape Size in particular for volatility, you know, if you filter out that noise and look from a slightly broader um, and longer tenor uh, of trade, uh, this is a market that very much sticks to uh, sticks to long-term trends, and uh, and it's very much able to be uh, to be traded on that basis. So, you know, I think there there are a number of compelling reasons why funds would look at this market. Okay, um, thanks thanks for that. Yeah. Um, Rich, I want to bring you back in here and, and discuss that 30%. So we're looking at 30% of the dry freight market roughly is funds. How does that compare to, say, the other markets that EEX operate in? So I think if we if we look at EEX markets as a whole, and, and particularly if we look at um, 
the markets um, where we have the highest degree of liquidity. Um, we would say that you know 30% is maybe slightly below the average, or in some cases, uh, quite a long way below the average. I mean, for for some of our uh, markets, the power market, for example, certainly in the gas markets, we would see this as being more around the 50% 50% level. So um, I certainly think there's some room to grow in the freight market um, to see the participation of um, funds or you know bespoke speculators growing um, in comparison to those other markets. And of course, if we were to look outside EEX, we don't have uh, perfect information on, on those markets, but in other um, global commodity markets worldwide, um, there's very, very healthy participation by um, by funds and, and speculators in all of those markets. Okay. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that we're sitting at 30? I mean, I know we're talking, you know, rough numbers here, but why are we sitting at 30 and say power and gas are sitting at 50? I think we probably have to 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 sort of just go back a couple of minutes to to the beginning of the the podcast to to think about how the markets evolve. So, you know, as Claudia said, um, traditionally funds in the dry freight market have been very very specialist businesses. You know, they've needed to be very close to the market to understand what's happening. Um, to be able to operate successfully. And I think it's very fair to say that the the transparency and the information that is available on the market today has not always been there. Um, The other thing that's changed a lot in the market is the liquidity. So we're in a period of really, really strong growth for uh, dry freight futures. Um, The year-on-year growth is well above 10% 10% for the last uh, four, four or five years. Um, and we've seen growth exceed that by a long way in 2021. And uh, talking to people in the market, I don't think that, that people think this is a sort of exceptional blip. It's more of a, a structural change that's happening in the market. So we expect this increase in liquidity to stay. Um, and of course, that makes it easier for these businesses to get into the market as well. Okay, and I'm going to come back to liquidity um, maybe a a little bit later on, but let's stick on this um, topic of market transparency. I mean, this is one of the things that that I've heard time and time again, that the market was historically quite opaque um, and now it's it's getting better and and, the market is getting more transparent. Kerry, I'd want to bring you in here. What's your thoughts about market transparency and how important is market transparency in order to attract more funds to 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 the dry freight market? Uh, It's vital. And and I would say, you know, and and let me be very blunt here, market transparency is vital uh, up to a point. You know, it was an incredibly opaque market before that precluded access to a lot of people who were not industry specialists. Um, but, you know, in the last 12 to 24 months, I, we have seen a lot number of moves by a number of brokerages, certainly ourselves included, um, to try and make this data more accessible, um, to try and uh, create streams of data that could even allow systematic funds that we touched on before, for example, to model this market. I can speak from our perspective. We have introduced uh, our app, which is available to all clients of the firm that uh, that creates uh, that scrapes live pricing off our broker screens. Uh, you know, this ends up depositing hundreds of price points a day 
throughout the day onto a live view app. Um, we have recently rolled out a Bloomberg service that you know does the same thing, but also delivers it via BPipe, via API. So you know these methods are enabling people who formerly did not have access to this market to, to tap into it, and that kind of transparency is fantastic. You know there is a question of you know does a market need to be perfectly efficient, and you know do some people actually want a market to to have some inefficiencies to be able to to take advantage of those in trading? And I think I'll leave that to the to the audience to decide. I want to talk about uh, brokers. I mean, obviously, yeah. you, you, men, you mentioned you know the the FIS app, the work that you're doing with Bloomberg, and there are a number of other brokers that are doing um, similar sort of initiatives. Let's put, yeah. let's put it that way. Yeah. Now, the the one thing about that is that's fantastic and that's brilliant. That's certainly bringing market transparency, you know, and further promoting that. Do you think there's any merit in the the broking community? sort of joining forces in some way to to really show a clearer and more a bigger picture of the dry freight market? You know, I, I think those are discussions that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, our chairman, uh, John Banaskovich, uh, is actually the chairman as well of the uh, Baltic FFABA, the FFA Brokers Association, uh, which is an industry group of the brokers that, uh, that coordinates moves like this. Um, so, you know, I think that that the merits of that are being discussed, and I certainly think those discussions are ongoing. Um, you know, it's certainly something that I know John has pushed in the past and uh, and continues to do so. Claudia, let's bring you back in here. Obviously, we've been talking here about market transparency as one key factor, and and Richard also talked about it. You know, but when we get down to it, isn't it really all just about liquidity? Well. <laughs> Michael, yes, of course, obviously, it is about liquidity. Liquidity is an important factor. And in order to have funds to choose to trade freight futures and options, we need as an industry to show and explain that actually it is an interesting market with great opportunities. And yeah, it is a valid investment product, as Carrie mentioned, complementary to their existing product portfolios. We need to reach out to them, showing what these opportunities are, explaining the peculiarities of the dry bulk market. And, well, how do we find them? Well, exchanges, brokers and clearing banks play a key role indeed in attracting funds, and EX is highly committed to that. I mean, that was going to be my next question, actually. You know, how do you find them? Isn't that part of the problem? Is that most funds are sitting behind banks. So it's a little bit like chicken and egg. You know, how, you know, you're obviously the, are the right person to speak to, Claudia, because you're the one that's that's reaching out to these people. Isn't it a challenge to really get um, face time, for want of a better word, with the real decision makers? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my experience is that banks play a very important role uh, to reach out to a wider geographical audience and reach a higher distribution that goes beyond the current one. We need to cooperate with them, not just by making sure that the market is accessible from the operational and regulatory perspective, but also by providing more information and transparency to the wider customer base. Okay, I'm going to come back to banks in a second and the role of banks. But but before I do, I just want to bring Rich back in because we talked about transparency from the broker perspective. Let's look at, you know, transparency from the exchange perspective. I mean, are there any examples that you can give us, Rich, of, say, for example, what EEX 
is working on um, from the exchange perspective to promote greater market transparency? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when, when we talk about transparency from the exchanges and, and, you know, how we promote it and how we promote the market, there's, you know, the three most important things that, that come into my mind are data, data, data. These markets are absolutely driven driven on data, and particularly for businesses um, who are new to the market, as we've said, are, you know, more generalists um, in the markets they trade, you know, they need as much data as they can possibly get. So what we look at doing is um, providing all of the exchange data that we hold on the freight market, free to market. It has to go out via as many channels as possible and is in as many formats as possible. So and what we talk about when we talk about data from the exchange side, we're thinking about, you know, our trade tape, um, open interest data and to have that in as granular a format as possible. So, you know, all the way down to open interest at different option strikes, for example, you know, open interest in different tenors for the futures. Um, you know, the most granular format possible. So we promote this, of course, you know, via our website, we promote it via our portal, which is our, you know, main customer interface for the freight market and also um, via API. Um, but of course, it's really important that we work with partners as well. You know, as an exchange, we have quite a broad reach, but the more we can broaden that reach by working with partners, the better. So. You know, we work with brokers like FIS um, and others. Um, we work with um, the index provider to the industry, the Baltic Exchange, um, to try and you know link our data to there so that we can create this sort of full circle ecosystem. I mean, Kerry talked about what FIS is doing on the broker side, that you have this live stream of bid and offer prices showing you where the market is right now i mean if we add the exchange yeah. data to that the the trade tapes the open interest data then you get this sort of full ecosystem of the market and if people can digest that in whichever format is better than particularly if it can come electronically via an api connection that then makes that really accessible for people to consume analyze and then they can go on to decide ultimately whether they want to enter the market and then to make trading decisions exactly Exactly. I agree 100 percent with what Richard's saying there. Um, you know, one more thing I would say, you know, tying this back to the appeal of the market to certain funds is that once you have that kind of data stream available, you can also identify a vast number of correlations uh, with the freight as well. You know, this fits very well in a broad spectrum of products, of commodity products that, that many of these funds trade. Um, and you can find a, a very significant number of correlations between, for example, the energy markets, between even heating oil demand in Asia, as opposed to sort of coal shipments on Panamax, things like that. Um, and suddenly this uh, this adds another layer of interest, I think, to, to this market um, once you have access to that data. We, we touched on this earlier and I want to bring it back is is the role of banks in 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 attracting funds. Claudia, we'll start with you and then maybe we can we can shoot over to, to Kerry. How important are banks? Banks are extremely important. They have a, a, a vital role in our market and especially when it comes to, you know, explaining to their clients, their um, customer base, these correlations and this data that um, 
Rich and Carrie mentioned, uh, for us it is, it is very important to work with them to make sure that we reach a, wi a wider geographical audience, as I mentioned earlier. And it is very important for us to cooperate with them, not just by making sure that the market is accessible in a smooth in a smooth way, but also by providing information and transparency. Carrie, would you agree? Absolutely. Um, the banks are, are an essential component of this market, uh, as they are, uh, I think, for many commodity markets. Uh, and, and it's what Claudia said. I mean, I think the fact that the banks have access to a broader reach geographically um, uh, of, of funds that, that we may not initially uh, know of. But, you know, I would also say that there's sort of a progression uh, that I think tends to happen in these markets as well, which is that as the market becomes slightly better known and as data becomes more available, you know, the banks continue to fulfill their essential role in introducing funds to this market that may be new for them. But you also tend to see a learning curve at which point, you know, some people become more comfortable trading in the market on their own. Um, and, and I think that's a natural progression and one that's very healthy. Having talked to you guys for what the last 20 minutes or so, we're talking about, you know, market transparency, we're talking about liquidity, both are increasing you know, to put it crudely. Um, so it all sounds, you know, quite optimistic. I wouldn't, um, just to, to finish off the, the podcast, I would like to go to each of you and, and ask um, what your thoughts and your expectations are for this market in, in the short and the medium and the long term. Well, I am a true believer, Michael, that the improvements in terms of transparency in the last years gave more visibility to a market that would have been difficult to monitor otherwise. The fact that we have seen an increase in interest and trading volume from hedge funds in the last couple of years signals that. With more collaboration in the industry, we could see a whole new market in, say, five years' time with more counterparts trading. And Rich, let's go to you next. What's your thoughts? Yes, I think in the short term, I, I would just expect to see the current trends continuing, right? This, this trickle of new counterparties into the market that, that haven't been there before beyond the traditional speculators that, that we've had. I mean, in the medium term, I could see this increasing a lot more. And I think, you know, visibility of, of shipping as a whole is increasing right now, you know, because of the events of the last couple of years and the disruption to supply chains, you know, suddenly many, many more people sort of have shipping in their consciousness. And it's always been this kind of massive industry that people outside it don't don't really know about. And I think that that broader consideration of shipping um, certainly certainly helps us. And I think, you know, looking at the disruption we have now, and you're starting to see this come down to uh, prices for consumer goods and things. And this is this is mostly based around um, things that are happening in the in the container market, not necessarily in the dry bulk market. But in the medium term, shipping is facing this huge challenge to decarbonize as well, and that's going to really affect the industry, affect freight rates, it's going to have a big impact. And so that's going to create, um, you know, a lot of turbulence in some ways, but also a lot of opportunity. And so I think in the medium term, the the picture for liquidity in this market, for interest in this market, and for increasing the, the spectrum of organisations that are involved in the market is hugely positive, very, very healthy. And let's leave the last word to Kerry. In the long term, I very much agree with Claudia's view. I see 
very high potential growth for this market, and I expect that it will be very healthy volumes, a very mature market used by many types of player, including funds, to express views on global trade. Thanks a million, guys. I thought you made some really interesting points today, and it's good to see that you all agree that the positive trend we've been experiencing looks set to continue when it comes to the rising role of funds in freight. And thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for myself or any of the panellists, then please feel free to get in touch. All our contact details are in the episode notes that accompany this podcast. Also, make sure to check out our new sister podcast, Building Markets Together, which launches later this month. In the first episode, we're joined by the CEO of EEX, Peter Wrights, to talk about sustainability. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.